Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to challenge you to follow Christ, and to inspire you to lead a consecrated life. Our culture longs for authenticity. We're tired of fakers and phonies who say one thing and do another. People should just be true to themselves and have the courage to flout tradition when it holds them back from genuine self-expression, right? Well, not always. This mentality can result in major individual and social problems from, say, sexually transmitted diseases to sexual harassment to racism and even mass shootings. Although our society's tying itself in knots over how to deal with freedom and tolerance, Christianity offers a better way by providing a standard to conform ourselves to that maximally enables human flourishing. Here is episode 153, BU, based on Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, we, we learn some really important ways of thinking about how to live as a Christian. And I think it's very applicable in the 21st century because ours is a time of authenticity. We have a cultural longing. This is uh, Brene Brown. She writes, authenticity is not something we have or don't have. It's a practice a conscious choice of how we want to live. Authenticity is a collection of choices that we have to make every day. It's about the choice to show up and be real, the choice to be honest, the choice to let our true selves be seen. I'm not quoting this to you as a positive or a negative. I'm just saying that this is in the air we breathe in our culture today. We live in a time where people long for authenticity. They're tired of fakers, tired of hypocrisy, tired of social pressure to conform. They're tired of repression. And so we have different ways to achieve authenticity in our culture today. You hear this slogan all over the place, right? Be true to yourself, hence uh, my title, Be You. Say what you mean. Don't, Don't filter your words, just say what you mean. This is something that in particular we northerners struggle with when we visit the south <laughs> because they're always being so polite and they say everything with a smile and it's it's really infuriating to us because we don't know where we stand pursue your dreams if you're really authentic to yourself you should you should pursue your dreams wherever they take you don't let society hold you back don't repress yourself don't stay in a loveless marriage that's very commonly practiced today. If you're not in love anymore, just get divorced. You know, there's no reason to stay married. Be courageous. Don't worry what others think. And express yourself. Just be you. If you want to get a tattoo on your nose, get a tattoo on your nose. You know what I mean? That's, that's, our, that's our world. I mean, and, and, and somebody sees that person with a tattooed... I've never met someone with a tattooed nose, for the record. But uh, I'm sure they're out there. And, and somebody says to them, oh, wow, that's really weird. And then another person pipes up and says, how dare you? They're expressing themselves. So that's the time in which we live. I want to talk to you about Michel Foucault, who was a French philosopher. 
as an example of somebody who really is an architect of this mindset of um, authenticity. He was very popular in the 1980s in particular as a French philosopher. He, uh, he's one of the most influential people in, in modern history, although you might not have ever heard of him. Um, but he wrote a four-volume work called The History of Sexuality. And uh, he looked at Victorian England and how the Victorian age was very repressive sexually. I mean, repressive in a lot of ways. I mean, there was a particular way of addressing everyone. And if you didn't conform your speech to that protocol, then you would be socially an outcast, a pariah. Sexually as well, very, very toned down. And, and he found some works there to, to write about. He wrote about Greek and Roman sexuality. And he did this whole history of a, a human sexuality. And what he concluded is that sexuality is socially constructed. It's something that society just decides how people should carry on sexually. And that there's nothing, there, there's no absolute moral requirements when it comes to human sexuality. It's just one culture does it this way and another culture does it that way. And he lived out his philosophy. He uh, ended up dying at 57 of a sexually transmitted disease, uh, AIDS in particular. Uh, so, I don't know, I find that to be a perfect contradiction. On, one, on the one hand, he craves freedom, ultimate freedom. And yet, at the other end, his life is cut short, precisely because of that freedom he embraced. And so, I think this, I think this fails. In our, in our day and time, we have, we have this desire, we, we have this longing, we want to be true to ourselves, we want to we embrace authenticity. But then, when men in power do that, we get sexual harassment, right? I mean, they're just expressing themselves. They're just being true to who they are. They're acting on their impulses. They see a pretty girl. They want to sexually harass them. Why can't they do that? It's the age of authenticity. Um, here's, here's another problem we have where people just rant and rave, and anger just bubbles up, and they, and they whether it's on social media, whether it's on TV, or whether it's a neighbor, and they're just exploding in a rant or what about white supremacy violence? We've seen that recently where uh, there, there was a, a riot and somebody drove a car into a crowd of people. And the guy who drove that car, was he being true to himself? I mean, he really hated the, he, you know, he's an extreme right winger and he was, he was driving into a crowd of extreme left wingers. And he's like, well, I, I hate these people. I'm going to be true to myself. I'm going to drive my car into them. And so he did. He was being authentic. <laughs> you see, I think, there's a, you know, I, I think there's a good side to authenticity, right? I mean, nobody likes a faker, right? But at the same time, we as humans, we have a bentness in us that we, we, can't, just, we can't just embrace at all times. Or what about shootings? You know, where somebody takes a gun and they, and they shoot up like in Las Vegas or in the, the school recently. Uh, so what I want to say is that there's, there's another way other than the way of our culture, which I think really ties itself in knots because you can't really be true to yourself at all times or else you hurt other people uh, or you hurt yourself. And you certainly hurt God if you go against what he says. So the Christian way is to, to, to talk about an identity, a new identity that we have in Christ. 
We're going to look at this in Colossians chapter 3. But the idea here is that you look within yourself and you, you see your, your different impulses and you filter them. And, and the ones that don't measure up to what the standard is that Christ set, you don't pursue. You repress those. And then those that do conform to what Christ said, you amplify. You live those out. You pursue those. And that's really the task of, of being a Christian in a practical sense, is that we're always sifting our own hearts and measuring it up against the standard of Christ so that we can figure out what is good and what is bad for us to do in this particular situation. So, uh, and I'm convinced that if you do that, you're going to live a, uh, an authentic life of human flourishing unlike anyone else. I really believe that. Because when, when, it, when it comes down to it, look, if Christ's teaching is really God's teaching, and God's our designer, do you think He's going to give us teachings that are, that are going to <laughs> repress us and make us miserable, maggots, like, I'm so unworthy... I just, I can't do anything. No, that's not the way our God is. You know, He wants us to grow and flourish and to, to reach our potential. All right, so let's look at Colossians chapter 3 together. I'm so excited about this chapter. I've heard it before, but this time in particular. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Uh, Let's look back at verse 1. It says that if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. There's this idea here that we are one with Christ, that we participate in His reality. And so conversion is dying. Conversion is saying, all right, I repent of doing it my way, and now I'm going to, to, to die to my own sins, my own inclinations, and I'm going to live this new life in Christ. And what that means is that because Christ is at God's right hand, that means that, in a sense, we are also at God's right hand. And so, verse 2 says, and this is really a key verse, because it says, set your minds. It's, it's about where you set your mind. Because we're going to be constantly bombarded with different kinds of ideas and thoughts. Even if you're not exposed to bad people, just sit in a room long enough, you'll have a bad thought. Right? Because there's something within that will bubble up and you'll be like, wow, I, can't even, I didn't even know I was capable of that thought. And so uh, you have to, it's, it's a battle and it's a day after day battle and you cannot grow weary. You have to continue to fight this fight. And what you do is you set your mind. And what I think is so powerful about this way of approaching it is that it's not just changing your behavior. We're going to look at the sins and, and the the good things that we're supposed to do. We're going to look at that in a minute. But right here, what he says is, you have an identity that needs to be altered. If you have already believed, then you have a new identity. So, what it says there in verse 2, set your mind on things above. Verse 3, you have died. If you, are, if you have repented of your sins, if you have accepted Christ's uh, sacrifice for your sins, you believed in the gospel, then you have died. And your life 
is hidden with Christ in God. So it's like we have everything pinned on Christ. Christ is with God. Christ is coming back. And when Christ comes back, He's going to appear in glory. And if He appears in glory and we're with Him and our life is hidden in Him and with Him, then we are going to appear in glory. You see how that works here? So we die with Him, we rise with Him, we're seated with Him, but, and when He comes back, we appear in glory with Him as well. Verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears. Look at that. Is Christ your life? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We have to grasp this identity. It's an identity shift. If, it, 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 when we feel tempted with sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, whatever, uh, we, we say to ourselves, not... It's not just like, I'm not going to do that. It's like, I'm not that kind of person. Let's put it this way. The terminology is excessively hostile. He says here in verse 5, put to death. That's hostile. That's not like, make friends with it, try to understand it, and then, if possible, (laughs) diminish it a little bit here and there, and then one day long in the future, you'll have overcome it. There's no gradualism here. It's not like starve it or poison it slowly, right? It's put it to death. Don't reason with it. Don't diminish its influence. Don't try to understand it. Don't make excuses for it. Kill it. That's what he says. Look at it again, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. If you put these things to death, then you will have life. And you will have a good life. It will be a better life. Verse 5, put to death, we just read that. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. God did not design us. God is our creator. He did not design us to behave in the ways that we just read there in verse 5. He did not design you to live like that. Or the, the sins that are coming up in the next couple of verses with like anger and these abuse of speech. He did not design you to talk that way, to, to live this way. So when you go against what God's design is, it bothers Him. It bothers Him. He made you good. He wants you to live in a good way, in a good manner. And what do we do? We take the things that God has given us and we, and we, go, we, we go out of bounds with them. For example... He created us to live in harmony with each other. And one of the aspects of social harmony is the family and sexual fidelity within marriage. Okay? And so he, he, he invented sex. God's pro-sex. But he put it for marriage. He, he put the boundary of marriage around it. And so what do we do? We take his good gift to us and we take it outside of that boundary. And now it's poisoning us. And it's poisoning the society as well. Uh, he gave us passions... But he placed boundaries on him. And when people defy his original intentions, it bothers him. Okay? And some people might say, okay, well, God's being petty. Why is he angry if I lie? If I lie to somebody, why does God care? Why, you know, why is his anger so frivolous? Well, I, I want to say that it's a proper anger. It's not, it's not like a sinful anger. You know, there's, there's, there's some anger that's sinful, right? Uh, you, you, something happens, you get frustrated, you lash out at somebody. That's, that's an outburst of anger, that's sinful, that's clear. But there's actually a verse in the Bible that says, be angry and what? 
and sin not. Be angry and do not sin. Right? So that doesn't mean that... So not all anger is sinful. And God has anger and His anger is proper. And uh, that's because He knows that... Not only that we're defying His sovereignty, His right to be the one in charge. But we're also damaging ourselves and damaging others in the process of going off from what He says. Um, And God's seen that. He's seen what happens when, on a large scale, people just degenerate. And that was called the flood. It did not end well, right? Uh, So, anyhow, I have an example of this sort of righteous anger from Arthur Galston. He grew up in a Jewish family in Brooklyn. And during the Great Depression, uh, he was a child. He lived through that so that... There was a special program by the time he came of age at Cornell Agricultural College, and it was free. Wouldn't that be nice, to go to Cornell for free? And so he took advantage of that. He went to Cornell. He fell in love with botany. And after graduating, he went to the University of Illinois. There he did botany and biochemistry. His Ph.D. dissertation was on this. Physiology of flowering with a special reference to floral initiation in soybeans. He found a chemical that you put on soybeans, soybean plants, that causes them to grow faster. It was a really good discovery. It was a good way to help people grow more food, to help humanity in general. And then he noted in his Ph.D., just like a little note, he says, if you put too much, it causes rapid defoliation, which is where the leaves fall off. That was 1943. Then, in 1951, some military scientists were studying Galston's Ph.D., and they produced Agent Orange. The British Air Force used it in Malaysia, and the U.S. Air Force used it in Vietnam. They sprayed 20% of South Vietnam's forests with Agent Orange. 20%. Can you imagine that? Approximately, and this is a disputed fact, but the Vietnamese claim approximately 4 million people were exposed, not just animals, but people. 3 million of them, they say, suffered illnesses because of Agent Orange, and 1 million are disabled or have ongoing health problems because of it. When this happened, Galston was flabbergasted. He was irate. He could not imagine that somebody took his research on trying to feed humankind and use it to disable and injure humankind and kill all the plants. He's a plant guy. This thing kills plants. And you know why they were killing the plants, right? You have a jungle, people hiding in the jungle. We'll spray this chemical. The leaves fall off. You can see the people that you're, you know, I mean, there was a logic to it, but the cost was so great. So he campaigned and campaigned. And then finally, in 1971, he convinced President Nixon to outlaw it and to not use Agent Orange anymore. Then he dedicated his life to bioethics, and he founded, was instrumental in founding a bioethics department at Yale, where he taught from 1977 to 2004. In 2003, he had 460 students in his class, one of the most popular classes at Yale that year. Sin is the Agent Orange of God's design. Sin is the agent orange of God's design. God gives us these different passions, these different drives, these different uh, satisfactions, if you want to call it that. 
And then what we do is we, we concentrate it, we bottle it, we do it too much, and then we hurt ourselves. Think about alcohol. Right? If you have too much alcohol, if, if, I mean, if you really concentrate and have too much alcohol, you will just kill yourself. Right? That's called, what, alcohol poisoning. Same thing with so much of what God has given us. He engineers sex for marriage, but we, we were like, well, uh, that's good. But let, what about, you know, let's, let's expand a little bit. Let's have adultery. Let's have uh, one-night stands. And now we have STDs. Look, if you're, if you're married to the same person for your life and you're faithful to that person, you don't have to worry about sexually transmitted diseases. A hundred percent. I mean, assuming the person you married didn't have one. You, know, you see what I'm saying? Like, it is... Uh, <laughs> then it's a hundred percent the other way. But uh, it's a hundred percent guarantee. You follow the way God says, and then you're, you're, you're protected. He calls us to have joy when we get something new. Think about this. You ever buy something or, or maybe uh, make something, produce something, and you, there, you, get, you get a little uh, buzz from that. You get a little excitement. You know, I think that's a God-given thing. You know, like say your shoes wear out. And you buy new shoes. You get those new shoes on. You're walking around, and you just feel like... I mean, nobody else is even notices your shoes. But you're just like, I got my new shoes on. And you just feel so good, right? That's the way we, and I think that's fine. I think that God gave us that. But then if we take it out of balance, we're just like, I want that feeling again. And now we start buying and buying and buying. It gets out of control. What is that? That's covetousness. That's greed. That's consumerism. And that's our world, isn't it? Where you, you buy and buy and buy and buy, and every time you buy, you get that you get that little rush, but then it diminishes over time. So now you got to buy more, or more frequently. It's, so it's all this it's all this Agent Orange effect, and that's what sin is. Oftentimes, back to our original question, though, what does it mean to live authentically? Let's get back into Colossians. Living authentically means not doing what you feel at all times, doing what you feel like doing. Living authentically means living according to God's original design at all times. He designed us in a particular way. Then we have a fall that occurred, and now we have these various impulses. Some are good and some are bad. But we're getting back to that original design that God had, and that's what it means to live as an authentic human being. So, since Christ is the authentic man, the one who always submitted His will to God's, we can, we can look to Him as our example and as our standard. Look again at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 7, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This is the language of clothing, putting off and putting on. You don't really see it that much in the English, but the Greek words are like the words that mean strip off, like as in take off your, don't do that right now, but 
Strip off your clothes is what it says in verse 9. But he doesn't say clothes. He says the old human. The old self or the old man. Different translations do it differently. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, put off the old self. I think the NASB does that too with his practices. Look, the, the focus is on the self and then the practices. It's an identity issue first, a behavior issue second. Um, and then it says, put on, and that's this word, do. It's an English word, do. It's right from the Greek, indio, which means to dress or clothe. So it's like, take off the old you and put on the new you. And then it says, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. This is the whole idea of the image of God. Right? We find this where? In Genesis chapter 1, where God says, let us make a man after our image. And he makes a male and female and gives them dominion and uh, says, says to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. This is all Genesis 1 creation theology. And so if we're in the image of God, that's the new self. The old self is in the image of Adam. That's that whole in Adam idea. Now we have this in Christ. Christ is the, is the second Adam, the Adam that never sinned. So he is in that untainted image of God that we want to hold ourselves up to as an example or a mirror maybe. All right, look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Not only behavior, but social barriers are torn down and changed in Christ. I mean, our world is different than theirs. We would talk about Asians, Arabs, Caucasians, Americans, whatever our categories would be. His categories were Jews, Greeks, Barbarians, Scythians, these were his categories in the first century. And yet the point is still just as strong, right? Your ethnicity, social class, like whether you're slave or free, whatever, you're all one in Christ Jesus. Those social barriers are removed. Christianity was the first diversity movement in the history of the world. It was us first. Uh, we, We had Ethiopians in the church from generation one. From generation one. And then we even let the Italians come in. <laughs> in generation one. Remember that with Cornelius? And so, and then you had the Greeks came in and, and people from all these different places. And then St. Patrick, his day's coming up, got to mention it. <laughs> he came to our island, some of us. And uh, he brought Christianity. You know, so the whole idea is that even, even those barbarians, that's what it says there, right? Does it say the word barbarian? It's the word barbaros in Greek, and it's, it's a word used to make fun of how they talk. Bar, 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 bar. So they call them barbaros, right? These are just like people that don't speak Greek or Latin. So these, these are outsiders, and, and he, they would just make fun of... Paul's like, look, these guys are one in Christ. Even the Scythians, everyone made fun of the Scythians. These guys were just total out, outcasts by this time in history. They, they, uh, they had pioneered... I was looking up on them just to... Like, what's a Scythian, right? I was looking up on them. They pioneered mounted horseback using the bow in battle. Now, that's got to be hard. Because you're not only hitting a moving target, you are moving. And you're not just moving forward. You're moving, like, up and down. <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> so, yeah, they, they were pretty awesome. They had their, their day, but by this time, their empire had faded, and they were just considered really just outcasts, sort of like spoke with a funny accent. You know, you, you'd make fun of them. And, and Paul says, even the Scythians. They're all one in Christ. Let's get to the good stuff, right? Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also must you also must forgive. And above all these, verse 14, put on what? That's right, love. Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ... Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. This is the description of how a Christian is supposed to think and behave. Measure yourself to this. Is this, is this, how, is this how you're doing it? Because <laughs> if you're not doing it like this, you're doing it wrong. Uh, I remember that time Sean and I were skiing, and uh, there was a guy, you know, every, when you're skiing, everyone's going in the same direction. Like down, <laughs> right? And there's this guy that's like walking up, and Sean turns to me and says, I think he's doing it wrong. <laughs> Look, if you're not living this way, you're doing Christianity wrong. What he says, well, we'll get to this. We'll get, we'll get to more, like, thinking through these individually. But, uh, all right, what verse is that? 16? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I was, I was reading a commentary on this uh, by N.T. Wright, and he says, all right, imagine you have two towns. Imagine you have two towns, and in one town, they live by verses 5 through 9. Take a look, verses 5 through 9. That's how they live in this town. That's just like what everybody does. And then in the other town... They live by verses 12 through 17, what we just read here. And he's like, well, which, which kind of town would you want to live in? And so I, I thought it was a really interesting thought experiment, so I, I got to really, like, really think about it. We'll call the first town Freetown. There actually is such a place as Freetown, but this is not in uh, Sierra Leone. This is, uh, this is an imaginary place, so if anyone's from Sierra Leone, I'm not saying anything bad about you, okay? Freetown. In Freetown... There's sexual immorality. How they say it is, in our town, we have total sexual freedom. So, legalized prostitution. Most people are polyamorous. Marriage is totally optional. But most people are not going to want to limit themselves in that way. They also have impurity. So, that, in Freetown, the way they would say that is, we don't, we don't have hang-ups about purity. We're not worried about that. You just be yourself. You know, we're not, we're not fussy about that sort of thing. And then they have passion. You can act out your fantasies in Freetown. Whatever your desires are, pursue them wherever they, wherever they lead. They have great art in Freetown. Um, evil desires. Cravings that go against traditional or conservative morality, no problem. Come to Freetown. Who are they to tell you what your desires are that they're evil anyhow? What about the next one? Covetousness. Look, that's just another way to say ambition. Let's get, let's get honest, right? I mean, you want to get ahead in the world. You have drive. You want to build your empire. 
You want to buy now and pay later? Come to Freetown, where you can, you, you can buy. You know, it doesn't matter if you need it or not. Do you want it? Buy it. Have it. We'll extend you a line of credit. No problem at all. Why not get the newest, best first? You deserve it. Anger, wrath, these are, these are what outsiders would call it. But people in Freetown, they would say that everyone's just being true to themselves. And they're not holding their feelings in. They're not repressing themselves. They're letting it out. If someone does something to make you angry, be angry in Freetown. Then we have malice. Tell it like it is. That's all malice is. You know, if, 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 if her hair looks dumb, tell her. You know, if, 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 if he's chewing too loudly, just tell the person next to you, hey, I can't hear, he's chewing too loudly. Right? If you, if you embarrass somebody, you embarrass somebody in a restaurant. No big deal, right? I mean, tell it like it is. Take matters into your own hands. If you don't like someone, then do something about it. You don't need to wait around for some institution. It doesn't have to be an actual crime. I mean, if, if somebody's bothering you, just act. It's Freetown. Be free. Be you. What about slander? Slander is actually the word blasphemia. Blasphemia, from which, from which we get blasphemy in uh, English. But the word blasphemy doesn't just mean against God. It could be against anyone. So they translate it slander, which I think is great. But... Um, if you want to talk bad about God in Freetown, if you want, if you want to say there's, there's no God or that God's a moral monster, go ahead. It's Freetown. Do whatever you want. If you want to talk about other people, tell someone what you really think. Stand-up, stand-up comedy is the best in Freetown. There are no rules at all. Um, then we have obscene talk. Dirty talk, curse words. In Freetown, the way they would say it is, we don't believe in censorship. We don't believe that you should limit how people speak in any area of life. So on the TV, look, if you're going to use the F word in your, in, your, in your head, use it in your real life too. And use it on the TV, use it on the radio. I mean, why should we have internet filters in Freetown? Does it sound very free? Right? So in Freetown, anything goes. What about lies? It's fine to tell the truth, but it's fine to lie too. I mean, if it's going to get you out of trouble, if it's going to keep somebody from getting hurt feelings, of course you should lie to them. It's Freetown. Total freedom of speech. You know, in America, there's not total freedom of speech. You can't yell fire in a crowded room. I mean, you get in trouble for that. But in Freetown, you can do that. If it amuses you, if, if, if you want to do it, you can do whatever you want. It's Freetown. Honestly, it sounds like my high school friends and me. When, <laughs> but uh, anyhow. All right, now imagine the other town. We'll call it Corpus Christi. And this is a place where you have compassionate hearts. You have empathy towards those who are suffering. That's what compassion is. It's where someone's, in, someone's suffering and you feel it. That's empathy. Compassion is taking it to the next level, wanting to do something to alleviate their suffering. Compassion is a really big word. Kindness. Concern for others. That's what kindness is. Uh, Humility is recognizing your limitations. That you're not all that, right? That's humility. What about meekness? That's a gentle disposition. 
You're not a, 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 a gruff person trying to force your own way all the time. You're, you're, you're willing to let things go in their, their own direction. Patience, that's the idea of having a long fuse. Patient people still get annoyed. Did you know that? They just don't freak out right when it happens. You know, they, they have a long fuse. Uh, they don't act immediately. They take time to make decisions. What about the next one here? Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. That's like putting up with each other. Somebody's really annoying to you, and you put up with them instead of exploding on them or making fun of them as soon as they leave the room. Uh, it's extending grace to others. Forgiving each other. That's the idea of not holding grudges, not letting bitterness take root in our own souls. It's, it's the idea of letting go, right? Even when someone did something really bad, you forgive them. You let, and actually what the text says is that uh, as Christ has forgiven you. So that's, that's the standard. It's not like you did anything good when you, <laughs> when you were forgiven. Um, he forgave unconditionally. And then you have love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. And that's the idea of acting for the good of others. Then you have the peace of Christ ruling in your heart. You're not easily ruffled. You're not combative. Then you're thankful. Instead of just taking everything for granted, you recognize goodness everywhere. You know, you step outside, you smell the air, it smells clean, you thank God for clean air. You feel the sun on your face, you thank God for a face and for the sun. You have a, a bite of something and it tastes good, you thank God for it. You know, that's the whole idea of like a gratitude attitude constantly throughout the day. Word of Christ richly dwelling in you, teaching and admonishing in all wisdom. And then you have people like Jacob, right? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Right? In Corpus Christi, what you have is this kind of lifestyle. This kind of lifestyle right here. You've got compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, love, peace, gratitude. You have the word of Christ dwelling in you. So obviously this is a Christian town. This is not just nice people. These are, these are Christians here. They're teaching and admonishing. Uh, teaching is like instruction. Admonishing is warning. It's, uh, it's, it's warning people. So you see somebody doing something and you warn them. You're like, hey, I see you're, uh, you're holding a grudge here against Ashley. You got to let that go, Mercedes. You got to let that go. <laughs> Where you lovingly are warning somebody about something you see. Then you have uh, the last one singing. So you have a lot, of, a lot of music in Corpus Christi. The lyrics are probably a little different than in Freetown, but. Uh, <laughs> You got a lot of music. You got a lot of music. All right. And you're doing everything. I like this last one. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. All right. So N.T. Wright, who kind of came up with the idea of, of coming with the two, the two cities here, this is what he says about this. He says, there will always be some cynics who say they would prefer the first. People are free there, they'll say. People are having a good time. All right. They may lose friends now and then. Some people who can't look after themselves may get hurt, but they'll be doing their own thing, living cheerful and robust lives. Whereas the other lot, the same people will say, look like a bunch of wimps, goody-goodies who can't stand up for themselves, 
always saying sorry and singing hymns. This reaction is, I think, quite common in today's world. So I'll come back to that in a second. But what I started with is what does it mean to be authentic? And I would say that in Freetown, these people are being authentic. They're, they're being true to who they are. And simultaneously in Corpus Christi, these people, I guess you guys are the righteous good people here on this side, the sinners over there. Uh, these people here, they are also being true to themselves. Because these people really believe that their, their old them is dead and the new them is hidden, their life is hidden with Christ, who's seated at the right hand of God, who's coming back in glory. That's what you really believe. So if that's what you really believe, then to be true to yourself is to live like this. So both groups are living authentically at the same time. So authenticity isn't so much the issue here. Now, do you think the Corpus Christi people, let me ask the Freetown people here. Do you think the Corpus Christi, Christi people, Krispy Kremers, um, do you think they're a bunch of wimps? What, now, why aren't they wimps? They're just always saying sorry, they're meek, they're, they're humble, they're, they only sing hymns, they don't sing any, you know, they don't do anything crazy, right? Why aren't they wimps? They're not wimps because it takes a heck of a lot more effort, courage, grit, to live that way than it does to live this way. To live in Freetown, you just do whatever you want, whenever you want it. That doesn't take any grit. That's just like, that's, that's easy. However, to live in Corpus Christi means that you're constantly looking at Christ as your, as your mirror for yourself. You say, well, does this make sense in light of the fact that my life is hidden with Christ? Does this make sense? Does it not make sense? Is this something that fits with my new self? Or not. So, for example, do you know how hard it is to forgive someone who's really hurt you? They're doing that over here. You ever try to remain patient when someone's really annoying? They're doing that over here. They're putting up with each other. Over here, you would just slap them in the mouth. <laughs> ever try to be kind when you don't get enough sleep? When you're dealing with someone incompetent? When you're trying to deal with a situation on the phone and you, you've been bounced like halfway around the world to somebody that doesn't really speak English and can't really help you and after you've already waited for an hour and then they hang up on you. And then, you're, and then somebody walks in the door. You want to bite their head off. Living this way, living the Corpus Christi way is way more challenging than living in Freetown. And it's just as authentic Freetown, if you think about it, though, is a place where you have autonomous freedom. And at first, if you move to Freetown, let's say you move there today, at first, it would be exhilarating. You would love it. You'd be like, oh, I can finally say what I want. I can finally do what I want. I can, I'm just like so, I'm like a bird flying through the air, right? And you, you, you're, I'm not going to pay taxes this year. It's Freetown, right? <laughs> I'm not going to wait online at the grocery store. I'm going to go to the front of the line. Because I do what I want in Freetown. Right? And at first it would be exhilarating. Uh, you could be rude whenever you want. You can finally tell people what you think without any consequence at all socially. Because everybody's doing that. Until, think about it now, as, as a town, as a city, until that 
society starts to break down and it starts to degenerate. I mean, what happens if the police in Freetown are always putting their own personal interests ahead of everyone else's? You know what you get? Like the police are in a lot of places of the world where they're the bad guys. Because they're, the orga- they're organized and they have weapons and they can just rob and, and, and do whatever they want because they are, like if the police are doing the crime, who do you call? So that's, that's what happens in the Freetown police. In the courts, there's no longer a matter of like who's guilty and who's innocent. It's like how does it benefit the judge, right? Over time, you would have a class of criminals who would bubble up and rise to the surface, and they'll kill those who challenge them because it's Freetown. You can kill people in Freetown. They'll charge businesses for protection. It's like, do you want protection? you want my protection? The business owner's like, protection from what? <laughs> Do you want my protection? <laughs> that's how, the, that's how th- that system operates. They'll run things the way they see fit. And now what you have is you have, you have these tribal warlords on the top running everything. And everyone else who thinks, they, oh, I'm going to come here and be free, they're actually severely repressed, severely restricted, and reduced to slavery and fear. Because they only exist to feed the big fish at the top. That's what happens to society if you live that way. Most people will not actually be free. They'll be prey. The strong will dominate the weak. In the end, this is Freetown. A prison. A prison. But not just any prison. A prison with a crooked warden at the top and guards that take bribes all throughout. That's what Freetown ends up being. Unless you're the strongest. Unless you have the best connections. Unless you have the best weapons, in which case then you're the warlord on the top. That's Freetown. But in Corpus Christi, let's say you move to that town. Living there at first, that's Corpus Christi, yay. Um, in Corpus Christi, you move there at first, it would be really hard. Because you'd always, you'd always be trying to, to conform to this new way of life, right? You're always curbing your tendencies, you're always growing it's those around you, growing hurts a lot of times, right? You're growing in your, your faith, your spirituality. A lot of times that comes because people point things out like, hey, what you said there wasn't really kind to that other person. And you're like, oh, man, you're right. I was totally insensitive. And you grow, right? It's, it's a painful process. And um, over, over time, though, you would allow Christ's peace to pervade you. And eventually... The lifestyle of Corpus Christi would become second nature to you. You would walk down the road with a heart full of gratitude. No fear in the world in Corpus Christi. Looking for it and serving those in need in the community. Singing your hymns and your spiritual songs as you go along. This town, this way of life is not about stifling your individuality. This doesn't stifle you at all. It allows you to be the best you you can be. This town, this way of life, it's about healing and unleashing the truest and best you. Now, we don't have, obviously, this is all totally fictitious. Uh, we don't have towns that, that work like this. Um, but we do have the church. And the Latin phrase, Corpus Christi, translates the body of Christ. And that's how we're called to live individually and as a group here. So we're supposed, to, we're supposed to embody that as individuals, but then also as a group, when we are together, 
we can live this kind of way. And it gives a testimony to the rest of the world. And, and, and in some ways, they're going to say, hey, you're so repressed. Well, at least I didn't die of 57 of AIDS. You know what I mean? But, but at the same time, yeah, I do, I do control myself. You know? So the question is, what kind of you do you want to be? What, what is worthwhile? And I, I strongly urge you to be like Christ, to have your life hidden with Christ next to God's right hand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the magnificent wisdom you have hidden in Christ. Help us to perceive it. I pray that you would give us the courage to, when we find ourselves in temptation, to remind ourselves, to set our minds on the things that are above. To recognize that our life is hidden with Christ. And that when He appears, we will also appear in glory. I pray for this and ask for your blessing on us as we seek to do your will. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. That's it for this message. If you would like more episodes like this, check out Offscript 1, 2, and 3, dealing with seeing the filter, hyper-individualism, and tolerance, where we delve into a number of the cultural forces silently at work that influence us in these ways. Also, check out podcast episode 72, Free as a Fish on Land, if you would like more along these same lines. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Please stop by restitudio.org and leave a comment, if you'd like to, on episode 153, BU. And we'll see you next week. Remember, the truth has nothing to fear.